0: Now, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to John chapter 7. We're continuing in our series called More. And the idea behind this is is there's this hunger inside of us for more of God, for more of what he has to offer to us. And the way that we receive that is through the Holy Spirit. And last week we were talking about, um, I got way off track. It ended up mostly being the story of how I came to the realization of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives today. We talked about that God... Um, didn't just call you to live this boring, frustrated life of trying to make disciples, but that through the Holy Spirit, He has given you the power that you need to be able to go out and to live the adventurous life that we read about in the life of Jesus and in the life of the disciples and the early church and all the way down the ages, even into now, uh, that's not what the holy possible is for us as believers. And today we're going to talk about uh, the hunger that we have inside of us for the presence of God, yeah. which is something that the Holy Spirit also brings to us. Now, hunger is a funny thing. Hunger can turn the sweetest, nicest person in the entire world into an ornery, cantankerous lion. Uh, My wife, you will not meet a woman that is sweeter, more gentle-natured than she is. She is kind. Her highest gift is mercy. If you're crying, she's going to be crying for you. She doesn't even know what's wrong, but her heart just goes out to you and she just wants to give you a big hug and tell you it's going to be okay. She's just that type of a person, so meek and mild and just a sweet, sweet woman. I am blessed To have her. Her only weakness is her taste in men, but that worked out really well for me. So what happens, though, is that when she gets hungry, she becomes a different person. She is not sweet, mild-mannered, meek Anna anymore. She's like, I need to eat now. I'm like, where did that voice come from? And she's like, we need to eat. And I'm like, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. You make up the mind, but we got to eat now. And she's like, my head hurts. I'm getting dizzy. Like, it's been an hour and a half since we ate. Like, seriously, you need to eat again? She's like, I need to eat now. So I'm like, all right, where do you want to eat? And she's like, she wants me to pick the place that she wants to eat without her having to say it. So when I give the wrong answer, she's like, no, not there. I'm like, well, where do you want to eat? I just want you to pick. And I'm like, okay, well, how about this place? No, not there. Well, I thought you wanted me to pick. So one day, I decided I was going to teach her a lesson. I thought, you know, I'm a teacher. That's my spiritual gift. It's what I do. I'm going to teach her how to communicate better and how to not play this game with me. So I decided I'm going to teach her about playing games. I'm playing a game with her. As you can see, this isn't going to work out already. The logic was not sound. And so I tell her, hey, you know what? I'm not going to make a decision. You're just going to have to choose and you're going to have to live with it. And she's like, no, and so it turns into this whole debate about who's going to choose, where we're going to eat, and I'm not going to make a decision, and she's not going to make a decision, so we're all getting hungry, and now I'm starting to get angry and cantankerous. And what I discovered was this, was that idiot husband plus hungry wife equals marital strife. (laughs) It did not go well for me. I discovered I am not the Holy Spirit. I cannot lead her into truth. I cannot change her heart. I just need to be like, okay, honey, I just want you to be happy, so why don't you tell me, give me three options. And then she gives me three options, and I pick the wrong two, and then we finally figure out what the right one is. <laughs> so that's how I've grown. But you know what's even stranger than hunger and how it works in you? is thirst. Because you can go a long time without eating. I mean, people do 40-day fasts sometimes. That's, that's one of those things where I would love to do that someday, but not really. Uh, <laughs> But it's something that you aspire to, like the people do ultra-marathons. I would kind of like to do that someday, but not really. But when you get thirsty, it's an entirely different type of an appetite that's stored up in you because you can go a long time before you die without food, but it's only a few days without water and you will perish. And my little girl, Brielle, she's also just the sweetest, cutest, cuddly little girl, but when she wants water, it's like she's been wanting water for three days, living in the middle of a parched land. She's like, water, water, water! And she just screams and screams, and you're looking for her little sippy cup, and you're trying to find it, and you're throwing it at her. And then as soon as she gets that water, she's just, ah, yeah, yeah, She's all fine again. I'm like, what on earth is going on? But you know what it's like to be thirsty. You ever been out there where it's hot and it's humid and it's sticky? I used to bale hay as a kid because my parents were hobby farmers, which is, again, why would you be a hobby farmer? That's not a good hobby. And so I'd be throwing hay bales up into the mouth and it's hot and you're getting the hay in your mouth and it's like, ah, and your, your lips are cracked and it's dry and you're just, you need water. And you get that glass of water. And the only time you ever hear people go like, ah, is when they drink water. It's the only thing in the entire world that makes you smack your lips and just like, ah, because it revives you. It refreshes you. Yeah. You feel like you were perishing one moment, you drink a glass of water, and you're fine again. And the reason that you have these, this hunger and this thirst inside of you because it's an indicator that you need more. You get hungry because you can't grow and you can't even sustain life if you aren't continually bringing food in. You get thirsty because you cannot live even for a few days or have any kind of strength in life if you aren't constantly bringing water into your body. Hunger and thirst are an indicator that there is more that you need. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. There is a hunger and there is a thirst inside of us and it's an indicator that there is more that is to be had. Now, the nation of Israel, they found themselves in a really interesting place when it came to thirst. And I think we can probably relate to them a little bit. But we know that Moses has been sent by God to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. They are miraculously saved from the bondage of slavery through signs and wonders. God causes all kinds of miracles to happen. Leads them out from the nation of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They just get out their little ways. They're up against the sea and then, you know, Pharaoh changes his mind. They send the army out after them. They're like, oh God, why have you brought us out here so we could Die here. Can we have died in Egypt in our own homes? Like, why do we have to do this? And so God parts the sea and they walk through on dry land. Army tries to chase them. I don't know about you, but if I'm a foot soldier and I'm to see the waters parted, I am not going out anywhere near that water. I am staying well away. But they think, let's go through too. You know, they go through, waters come down, and them, the army is destroyed. Israel is saved, and they go on their way. But they get into the desert. They're just a few days in, and they get thirsty. Because deserts are dry places. There's not just rivers flowing through the deserts. There aren't lakes all over the place. So they're out there, two million people, and they figure out, we don't have any water. And, you know, they probably would have done, you think, okay, well, they just saw God miraculously lead them out of Israel. We just saw God part the sea, destroy an army. So what are they going to do? They're just going to say, hey, God, we need some water. Can you hook us up? But what they do instead, and I love this response, is they say, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? (laughs) Thanks a lot, God. I love that mature attitude that they have towards Him. They've seen all of these miracles occur, and like God, you just brought us out here to die without water. And so God tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to strike this rock with your staff. And when he does that, miraculously, water just gushes out of this rock and the entire nation is saved. They have this endless supply of water now for them. They're all able to drink, they're revived, and they're able to continue to sustain life and to move on to what it is that they're called to do. Now, this was a very important miracle in the life of the nation. And it was something that they continued to celebrate. One of the big feasts they had was the Feast of Tabernacles. And as a part of that, what would happen is the priest would go out there and they would march around the altar seven times and they would take this golden flagon that they would dip into a pool and they would come and pour that out at the base of the altar. And it was symbolic and it was remembering the way that God had provided water for the nation of Israel when they were in the desert and had sustained their lives. When God does something like that, you're going to remember it. And so every year, this is part of what they're doing at the Feast of Tabernacles. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, he's there at the feast one day. And it's on the last day of the feast. And as they're, they're doing this ceremony of the pouring of the water, it says this in John chapter 7, 37 through 39. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So they're doing this ceremony where they're pouring out the water. They're remembering how it was that God preserved their physical lives in our fleshly bodies. And Jesus stands up and he yells out, you know, this is not something you're supposed to do in the middle of the ceremony. But he stands up and he cries out in a loud voice, These things that you've been doing, this was all pointing to me. Because you see, God wanted to do more than just preserve your earthly, fleshly lives. There's a thirst inside of you for the presence of God. It's something that you've been longing for since the day that you were born, is for more of the presence of God. And this is what I am going to give you. The day is going to come when I'm going to send you the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, what it's going to be is living waters inside of you that don't just refresh your physical body, but bring revivification and life to your spirit. So much more than what you ever could receive from any water that you drink from a well, when you receive the spirit that I'm going to send to all of those who believe in me and put their faith in me for salvation, is the very presence of God inside of them. I'm going to bring water to your soul. I'm going to bring life to you because you have this thirst inside of your spirit for God. I love how David, he writes, the one thing that I ask, the one thing that I'm seeking is to see your glory, God. I want to find you in the place your glory dwells, saying, I want to be in your presence. That's the thing I want more than anything else in this earth, is to know your presence. And as you look through scripture, there were certain people that it says God poured out the Holy Spirit on in the Old Testament, but it was a very select few. There were a few prophets, and like David, for example, is a king. There were even some people, like uh, different judges and stuff, but it was a very select, limited amount of people that could know the presence of God. And Jesus is saying is that I'm going to send you the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhead. God himself is going to come and dwell inside of you and satisfy that desire, satisfy that thirst that you have for God inside of your heart. I imagine the people sitting there, after they get over the shock of Jesus standing up and starting to shout in the middle of their ceremony, they've got to be thinking, like living water? The idea of God's Spirit being poured out on all of us? We never knew that this was even possible. We had a desire inside of us for it. There was a thirst inside of our hearts for God. And that thirst is an indicator that there is more for you. And so this morning, I think we had to put ourselves into the place of the people that would be sitting there at the feast as they're remembering what it is that God has done as their living was this thirst inside of them for the Spirit of God, for His presence. Now hearing that this is a possibility for us, that this is something that Jesus has promised us, that He's going to send the Spirit of God on us, That's going to be a river of living water pouring out from our heart. It's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the relationship that we have with God. And here's the other thing about an appetite. Is that when you indulge in this appetite, it stirs up an even greater desire inside of your heart for the presence of God. I remember one time, the way that earthly appetites work, is you get hungry for something, you indulge that appetite, and then it's gone. I don't know why, but it was one time it was midnight and I had an appetite for Taco Bell and I went and I indulged that appetite and I have not eaten Taco Bell since. That appetite was satisfied forever. (laughs) I never, ever want to eat at that place again. We are not sponsored by Taco Bell. We just lost that sponsorship. Uh, But when I encounter the presence of the living God, it satisfies the need that I have inside of me, but it stirs up an even greater appetite for more. I have... A satisfaction inside of my heart, but there's an even greater appetite that wells up and it's like, God, I want more of your presence. What I just tasted, what I just saw, what I just encountered, I love that and thank you for that, but God, I want even more of that tomorrow. I want it to be something that continues to grow and the more you encounter God, the more you want him. The more you want God, the more you find him because it says that God draws near to all those who draw near to him. So as we continue to draw near to God, he continues to draw closer to us. We see more of him and his goodness and his mercy, and we experience more of the life, and that makes us want him and love him even more, which then makes us even closer, and just keeps going back and forth. It's a cycle that feeds itself, and the more that you satisfy that desire, that thirst that you have, the more you know God more fully, more closely, and more intimately. But there's two ways that we can manage water. And I love that God uses water as this symbol for what the Holy Spirit is and for what he does inside of our lives. See, the ancient people, when they would go into a dry place, there were two ways that they had to manage water, to have access to water. It was a cistern and there was a well. And this is what a cistern was. It was a reservoir. It was a place where you could store the water that fell from the sky. So it would rain, they would have bowls, basins, different things like that that would collect the water, and so they'd have all kinds of water. And you start using that water, but eventually the water runs out. It's not a self-sustaining source for you. And this is what happens to us a lot of times as Christians. We live with this cistern mindset towards the presence of God. We're always looking for these encounters with God where we encounter his presence in a new way. It's like the glory of heaven rains down on us and we collect it like a cistern inside of us. But eventually that runs out. See, I'm all for encounters. I love uh, going on mission trips. Oh my goodness, you go on a mission trip. We have a team that just got back from Kenya and you go there and you encounter the presence of God in a new way. And you're filled in a new way with the presence of God. You collect the glory of heaven inside of you. You hear him more clearly. Uh, You love him. Your heart stirred up to love him even more. And uh, it's great. I love that. But then you get home and you've collected this encounter with God. But if you don't continue to feed it, eventually it runs out. And you can go back to living life the way that you were before. I love going to Jesus Culture concerts and Hillsong concerts because you go there for a night of worship and there's nothing like thousands of people gathering together to glorify Jesus. You encounter God in a new way and that's great and it fills up your cistern, but it's not something that will last you forever. So I remember the first time that I encountered the power and presence of God was when I was 14 years old at a missions conference and God spoke to me and called me into ministry and I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible that I got to encounter God in this way. But that was a cistern moment for me and as i started going through the week after that i noticed i felt less and less of the presence of god every single day and so my solution was man i need to we need mission conferences every weekend every day we need to have these people from all over the world coming in and telling us about what it is that god's done i remember after my first mission trip and encountering god so powerfully in mexico and being used by him and feeling like my life had new meaning and purpose in doing this and I got back and I started to lose that feeling again. And I remember talking to the missionary. I was, I was talking to him and I said, you know what, I think I need to move down to Mexico. I need to do this because I sensed God so powerfully when I was there. And he laughed at me. He's like, Jeremy, God isn't in Mexico. He's everywhere. Yeah. And if you aren't encountering the presence of God in Michigan, then you're not going to encounter the presence of God in Mexico if you move down there. Because it'll last you a week or two and then I'll run out. And he's like, because let me tell you, I live here, and it's tough. There are days when I don't feel the closeness and the power of presence in God in my life. He says, but if you can figure out how to tap into the presence of God in Michigan, then it's going to be with you wherever it is that you go, and you will live with that presence of God in your life and that sense of purpose and power and passion for him. All of these things will be a part of the way that you live your life. Because see, what he's talking about is the second way that ancient people would manage water, which was to dig a well. So if you dig into the ground, you go deep enough, and you're going to hit the underground systems of water. And so that's what they would do, is they would dig these, they'd dig these big holes in the ground, they would dig a well, and then they always had access to water. And this is what we have to do as Christians. Is it's good to have those cistern moments. Go to the concerts, go to the mission trips, go to the missions conference, all of these things. Those are great things to do, and you should do them but you can't rely on having your spiritual life sustained by these sorts of moments. You have to dig a well. You have to tap into the presence and the power of God daily in your life, where every morning you go to that well and you draw up that water that you need to sustain you and to revive your soul, to allow you to continue to grow in the Lord. We have to be a people that don't just rely on on the cistern moments, we have to be a people of the well. And this is something that even the disciples didn't understand. Because think about this, they're walking with Jesus, God in human flesh is here with us, and they're following him around, they're learning about the kingdom of God, they're seeing him perform all of these miracles, incredible things are happening. They, f- they know the presence of God because they're physically walking with him, they can give him a hug. They're hearing his words clearly. But Jesus says, It's to your advantage that I leave you so I can send you the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I'm not a smart man, neither were the disciples, and that just goes against logic. Like, God, how can it possibly be to our advantage to have the physical manifestation of God leave us? Yeah. How could that possibly be better? Because what they didn't understand was that walking with the physical presence of God on the earth was still a cistern experience for them. And God called them to be a people who had wells of living water inside of them. Because what happens when Jesus sends you out to make more disciples? If the way that you encounter the presence of God is through the physical manifestation of something, then when you get away from the physical person of God, then you are going to run dry eventually. The Holy Spirit inside of us, God inside of us, is a well that is a constant source of the living water that we need to do everything that God's called us to do and to live with passion in our life, to live with a sense of purpose, to be able to continue to nourish our souls, revive us, strengthen us, and propel us into future growth, and to do all of the things that God has called us to do. Amen. So this is how we live. If we want to do well living, I don't mean good living, I mean digging your well living, the first thing that has to happen is it begins with a thirst. Jesus said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me. We don't come to God unless there is a thirst inside of us. If you aren't thirsty, then you won't believe there is more. You will never move. You will never do what is required of you to do to be able to satisfy that thirst. And so a lot of times what happens is, you have an encounter with God or things are bad in your life and you recognize that you need his presence. Well, so that's when you seek God. But sometimes you can get to a point of where you've neglected to continue to drink of the living waters that God gives you. You've neglected the presence of God in your life and you can get so thirsty that you don't even know you're thirsty anymore. You know what the last thing is that people do that die of hypothermia? is They strip off their clothes because they feel hot. They're dying of cold, but their body's telling them that they're too hot. And so they're removing their garments, the things that they need to sustain life. And sometimes what happens is you are so deprived of the presence of God in your life that the very thing you need is the very thing that you don't go after. And even when someone's like, hey, you need a glass of water. No, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm actually a little waterlogged right now. My hands are kind of pruny. No, your hands aren't pruny. They're shriveled up because you don't have any water in you. And so this is the thing, is if you know that you need an encounter with God, you need his presence in your life, then the first thing you do is you say, God, would you stir up a thirst inside of me? Yes, Lord. Because this is a promise that Jesus gave. He said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That when you thirst and when you hunger for the presence of God, you receive the presence of God but if you don't have that thirst and hunger inside of you, then it's something you will never do. The reason I made a decision to turn my life over to Jesus, put my faith in him for salvation, and to make him the Lord of my life where I would follow him every day of my life is because I had a thirst inside of me for him because I saw how good God was and I saw how messed up I was. And I said, God, what you have is better than anything I've ever encountered before. I want you. And stir up that thirst. Keep going after it. And then the second thing, is we have to dig deep. The well-living means that it's a life that digs deep. You see, when I married my wife, I got all of my wife and she got all of me, but I didn't know the first thing about her. You know, your spouse is like a treasure mine. The more you dig into them over time, the more you discover these beautiful things about them. And, you know, we've been married 10 years now, and I look back at our wedding day, and it's like, I didn't even love you back then. I thought I loved you to the greatest extent I possibly could, but I look back now and seeing how my love and my affection for you has grown, it's like, man, back then we were just kids. That was puppy love. We didn't understand anything that we were getting ourselves into. And the more I seek after my wife, the more I explore who it is that she is, the more I discover how rich and how beautiful and wonderful she is, and the more blessed I am by the marriage. Mm. And it's the same way with God. You need to dig deep into his presence. I mean, you need to come, when you open your Bible, and he's like, God, reveal yourself to me inside of this. I love it how you can read one verse, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's this revelation, and you never knew this, and you're like, that's incredible. And then a couple years later, you might read that same verse again. And that same verse that you thought you got everything out of it that I had to offer you speaks to you again in a new way. And your mind's blown again. You're like, oh my goodness, how did I never see this before? God, you are so incredible. Or as you pray and you see God answer prayers. Last week, after I told my story about uh, the first person I prayed for healing for, the rotator cuff was torn and God miraculously healed it. We prayed for two people last week with torn rotator cuffs. I don't know what you guys are doing in this church that you tear so many rotator cuffs. I don't know if we have some kind of like arm wrestling league going on behind the scenes I don't know about. But prayed for two different rotator cuffs and God miraculously healed them there in the spot. People like doing windows like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. But the more we dig into God in prayer and see him answer these prayers, the more we love him, the more we thirst for him. We just had to keep pressing into who he is because there's more to him than we will ever be able to know. We will never exhaust the knowledge of who he is. We will never exhaust the revelation of how greatly he loves us. The thirst that we have will never go away and will also never be left wanting. Every time we come and we drink, it's it's like, ah, God, that was so good. I encountered you in a new way. I saw fresh and again how great you are. And how much you love me. And Jesus, it brought life to my soul and I want even more of you. You have to dig deep because here's what happens too. Is if you dig a well for yourself, if you just got, you know, your little nomadic hunter out there and you need some water, so you dig a well. You don't have to dig that deep to have enough water for who you are to sustain you. But then you get married. Then you have kids. Like, okay, i got more people. I need to dig a little bit deeper of a well. And then all of a sudden, you know, it turns into a hundred people and people come to your house for the family gatherings. Oh my gosh, I have hundreds of people now. you got to dig that well even deeper because you need more access to water. Well, Jesus said that in your heart, when you receive the Spirit, there are going to be rivers of living water that pour from your heart. That means it's not just water for us, It's more than we need. It's more than we can contain. It's supposed to be water that pours out of us and blesses all of those who are around us. It's the perfect picture for the way that we do ministry. When I pray for people for healing, is it that I know the right words to say or I'm such a great guy that people are healed? No, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the power of God that flows out of me. When you go there and you're trying to share the gospel with someone, it's not that you know all of the right verses to quote and you've got it down, you have the inflection right as you're going through your, your uh, story of it. It's that when you speak these words, it's that the Holy Spirit and the power and the anointing of God that's inside of you is being released and coming out on the people that are around you. It's rivers of living water pouring out from you onto those who are around you. And the bigger the platform it is that God's given you, the more influence that God gives you, the deeper you need to dig that well so that it doesn't run dry. The more people that God gives you to minister to, the more you need to be digging that well so that there's more of God that you have to offer the people that are around you. And then the third thing that you have to do is, you, is that well living protects the well. Well. Now, people, when they dig wells, as you're digging deeper, what happens is there's more pressure on the sides, and it wants to collapse. So what you have to do is you have to fortify the structure. You have to protect that well so that you always have access to it. See, the more God uses you, the more that you're doing for the kingdom, the greater the pressures are going to be on you. And what dug that well and what brought you that source of the living water, the place where you encounter the presence of God so much and the Holy Spirit continues to just fill you in new ways, is as you're spending the time seeking the presence of God. As you're spending your time in prayer, as you're spending your time reading the scriptures and just meditating on God's goodness, as you're spending time just listening from to speak to you, that's digging the well, that's jumping into the fullness of who God is. But the more you do this, the more pressure and the more distractions that come along with it. And you can get so involved in trying to do ministry and trying to do the things you feel like God's called you to do that you don't protect the well and the pressure eventually causes it to collapse. And then you have nothing to give people. You find out real fast when you're trying to follow God's plan for your life that if you're relying on your strength and your ability and your power, you can't do anything. But when it's the presence of God in you, speaking to people, when it's the presence of God that's leading your thoughts, giving you divine ideas and strategies from heaven, there is nothing that can defeat you. We have to be a people who protect the well. We have to be a people who host the presence of God above everything else in our lives. And this is how important it is. Your access to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus laid his life down so that we could receive it. We were all created to live with that constant awareness of God's presence, with that connection to him. When we read about Adam and Eve, that's the way they lived with God. It says that they walked with him in the cool of the evening. That close relationship. But that was all destroyed by sin. And that was something that we didn't have access to any longer. And just because you don't have access to water doesn't mean you don't need water anymore. It just means that you live a weak life. It means that it leads to spiritual death so Jesus said, it's so important to restore the presence of God in my people that I'm going to go and I'm going to lay down my life for them. I'm going to take the sins of the world upon myself so that they can receive forgiveness of their sins. So that they can be restored to the Father. So that they can once again receive the Holy Spirit. And this morning, if God's been stirring up a thirst inside of you, he's able to provide you with the water that you so desperately need. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Let's just spend a moment asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. two things that I think that God wants to do this morning is, number one, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, if you've wanted the presence of God in your life, there's been a hunger and a thirst inside of you for that. This morning, he's here to meet you. He's here to bring new life inside of you. He wants to adopt you into his own family as a son, as a daughter, as a joint heir with Christ Jesus to forgive all of your sin, remove all of your guilt and all of your shame and lead you into a new life, the life that he always created for you to have where you know his voice, you know his presence. And if that's you this morning, I mean, every eye is closed, but just as a symbol before God of saying, that's me, God, I want you, I want to follow you, I want to know your presence in my life and receive the forgiveness of my sins. Be so bold as just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you this morning. Thank you. And then there's the other thing he wants to do is if you've been following God and you've known him, but you've run into a dry season in your life, and you know that you need more of that living water, you need more of God's presence, you need to dig that deep well, you need to receive more of the Holy Spirit. When you raise your hand with me, too, is to say, God, I don't want to be a cistern person anymore. I want a well in my life that springs life from it. Thank you. And let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you would die on the cross for me to bring me forgiveness of sins. Jesus, I put my faith in you. you. God, lead me into your ways. Lead 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 me away from the old life. And into the new. Thank you, for the of the Holy Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I pray now that I would receive more. I pray now that I would receive more. more of your presence in my life. More of your leading in my life. More of just life in you, God. Just life in you. Jesus, satisfy that thirst we have. stir up an even greater thirst in us for you. In the name of Jesus Jesus, we pray. Amen.